when we get there. But welcome, and uh, we're we're going to start our book of Numbers today, and we're going to uh, our verse or our chapter in Revelation is actually quite short, but it's a it's a transitional thing. So we'll talk about that, and uh, so Numbers one, and you're going to realize very very quickly why it's called Numbers, <laughs> and. We're going to be numbering stuff. Um, and it's it's one of those books that, it's kind of like the genealogies, where when I was younger, I would get to numbers, and my eyes would start glazing over, and I was like, oh, I, okay, you know, names I can't pronounce, and why are we talking about this? But now that I, I've studied it and read through a few times, it's it's really fascinating to me, because these are the kinds of things that when people are saying, well, how do you know it's, you know, how do you know it's sound? How do you know? It's, these are actual records. These are not, um, you know, somebody wrote a fascinating story and these are main characters. You know, this, this, is, this is their records. This is the, the evidence that this happened is, is these documents. It's like when you're going through the book of Kings and it's recorded in the book of the Kings. You know, th these are the records. Um, so starting in Numbers 1. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. I know. I know. <laughs> Why are you saying this again? But yeah, well, and because you know, with and we've talked about this with the laws and stuff. If it if he means it, he says it at least twice. Yeah. You know, which is why when somebody comes to you with, well, this is this is what God's saying, and you go, where do you get that? This one verse. In this one rarely read part of scripture, look, I found this. This is some new revelation. It's like, okay, where is that anywhere else? In you know, it's, it's, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yes, God said it. Moses told them. They did it. Exactly. It's it's a it wasn't just, you know, God had this thought and let's go on. It was no shoes. <laughs> they didn't get shoes on? Oh, are they coming? Oh, oh okay. Rob didn't get shoes on? Oh no, he's doing his test. I forgot about that. Um, Bill, is there a drink? Is there a drink? Okay. So, um, yeah. So, <laughs> it's not my test. So, so, verse 1. So, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting. So, we're, we are at the God said it. <laughs> Um, on the first day of the second month, 
So uh, we've, we've gone from Nissan to, I believe, Savan. And so th this is now, you know, he's done, he talked a lot of this stuff during Nissan. Now we're moving into the second month. Um, and, and this is what we're going to do. In the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male by he or head by head, from 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war. So, so they've been, you know, it took them this year to get there, to, to be outside the promised land, and now they're, um, they're he's, he's like, okay, now we need to organize. We need to be structured. Um, take a sense uh, by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male head by head, from 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them company by company. And there shall be with you a man from each tribe, each man being the head of the house of his fathers. And these are the names of the men who shall assist you. So he's saying, so there's going to be with you someone from every tribe. And I'm not just going to leave it up to you to pick your favorite. I'm not just going to leave it up to the tribes to vote. Here's who you're going to have doing this with you. Um, from Reuben, Eliezer, the son of Shadur. From Simeon, Shalumiel, the son of Zurishadai. Zurishadai? Shalumiel? There you go. That's your new name, huh? <laughs> From Judah, Nashom, the son of Aminadab. Aminadab. From Issachar, Nethanel, the son of Zuar. From Zebulun, Eliab, the son of Helon. From the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim. Elashima, the son of Amihud. And from Manasseh, Gamaliel, the son of Petazur. From Benjamin, Abidon, the son of Gideoni, or Gideoni. From Dan, Ahiazer, the son of Amishadai. From, uh, from Asher, Pajel, the son of Okran. From Gad, Eliasaph, the son of Deul. From Naphtali, Ahira, the son of Enon. These were the ones chosen from the congregation, the chiefs of their ancestral tribes, the heads of the clans of Israel. Moses and Aaron took these men who had been named, and on the first day of the second month, they assembled the whole congregation together. So on the same day that God gave them the names, they called everybody together. They didn't say, oh, we need to, you know, create a committee and... You know, ask these people, do you want to do it? And no, they say, okay, God said this, call everybody together. Um, they assembled the whole congregation together who registered themselves by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, head by head, as the Lord commanded Moses. So he listed them in the wilderness of Sinai. The people of Reuben, Israel's firstborn, their generations by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, head by head, every male from 20 years old and upward, all who were able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Reuben were 46,500. Okay? So those are the men 20 and up able to go to war. Yeah, plus their women and children. 
What? Yeah, the yeah, I think it was above 65 wasn't able. So this is just the group, the 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 fighting men. Yes. Right. And this is just the tribe of Reuben. It's a lot of people. Of the people of Simeon. Now, and keep this in mind because this is how many people we're talking about of fighting age who go, we're afraid to go in. They're going to destroy us. Oh, okay. So, so this, this is, you know, this is a lot of people. Of the people of Simeon, their generations, by their clans, by their father's houses, those of them who were listed according to the number of names, head by head, every male from 20 years old and upward, all who were able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Simeon were 59,300. Yeah, and this is why a lot of times when they would be coming, people would send out ambassadors. Could you just please go around us? Or um, how about we'll let you pass through? You don't kill us, you know? <laughs> no, they, they, yeah, they seem to not get... Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. So verse 24, of the people of Gad, their generations by their clans, by their father's houses, according to the number of the names from 20 years old and upward, all who were chiefs of their ancestral tribes, the heads of the clans of Israel. Moses and Aaron took these men who had been named, and on the first day of the second month, they assembled the whole congregation together who registered them. Oh, no, I just skipped back. I'm sorry. I went backwards in my copying. Um, okay, that's why it seemed really, really long when I was copying it over. So of the so skip a, skip ahead a couple slides when it starts at verse twenty four again. Yeah, that was that was user error there. Um, and, and I know who lets her do the slides for goodness sake. <laughs> Somebody should get on her. Oh man. Um how funny. So <laughs> So of the people of Gad, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of the names from twenty years old and upward, all who were able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Gad were forty five thousand six hundred and fifty. Of the people of Judah, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Judah were 74,600. Of the people of Issachar, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Issachar were 54,400. Of the people of Zebulun, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Zebulun were 57,400. Of the people of Joseph, 
namely of the people of Ephraim, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from twenty years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Ephraim were forty thousand five hundred. Of the people of Manasseh, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from twenty years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Manasseh were 32,200. Of the people of Benjamin, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Benjamin were 35,400. Of the people of Dan, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Dan were 62,700. Of the people of Asher, their generations by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Asher were 41,500. Of the people of Naphtali, their generations by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Naphtali were 53,400. These, the, these are those, verse 44, who were listed, whom Moses and Aaron listed with the help of the chiefs of Israel, 12 men, each representing his father's house. And, and I think that's, um, you know, when we look at, in Revelation where we've got the 24 thrones and we've talked about, you know, the 20, you know, they could be 12 of the people, you know, who knows, you know, it could be the, the, you know, they, they're, they're, they could be in there some, somewhere. They were specifically called out by name and chosen. They could be representative there. Um, but regardless, when you've got the, the whole, the point of when you have someone representing each tribe, um, it's not like, we're going to have Judah count everybody so that Judah can make themselves look good. You know, the people counting their, their you, you had somebody representative from every tribe who was in there. Um, so, so all those listed of the people of Israel by their father's houses from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war in Israel, all those listed were 603,550. Yes. Yes. Um, oh, really? It's interesting. So, but the Levites were not listed along with them by their ancestral tribe. Okay? For the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not list, and you shall not take a census of them among the people of Israel. But appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony. So the reason you have 12 there is because in that count, you've got Ephraim and Manasseh and the others. Um, but appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony and over all its furnishings and over all that belongs to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings, and they shall take care of it and shall camp around the tabernacle. When the tabernacle is to set out, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. So with what we're looking at um, in Revelation, where we've been talking about things happening in the spiritual realm and then 
impacting the physical realm, there, that's part of what we're seeing here. Part of what empowered the Israelite army to move forward and part of what caused them to be able to go forth with victory when they went forth with victory was because everything was done properly in the tabernacle and that connection between the throne room of God and the throne room representative on the earth was intact. So what the Levites were doing was just as important, if not more important, than what the soldiers were doing. So they were not to be divided. They were to focus on the spiritual side of the battle while the soldiers were out focusing on the physical side of the battle. And, you know, it's just like with, you know, when we saw with Moses and them holding his arms up. We, we've had that story, right, this time around? Trying to, I, I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so, when, when they had to hold his arms up, otherwise they were losing the battle. Um, so, and no outsider is allowed to come near because they're not the ones supposed to be working on that. The P, uh, verse 52, the people of Israel shall pitch their tents by their companies, each man in his own camp, and each man by his own standard. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, so that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the people of Israel. And the Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus did the people of Israel. They did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. Yes, yes. The, the, the tabernacle, the, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. The tabernacle is at the center. And when everyone else is at their post doing what they're supposed to be doing, it all works out. People who are supposed to be out here start trying to come in here, they're to be put to death. And the people who are supposed to be in here are not supposed to go out there. You know, the Levites don't get to pick up arms. You know, they don't get to pick up weapons and, and go out and kill people. They need to be ministering to the tabernacle. Right. Right. Absolutely. They are, they are guarded. Yes, they they are they are guarded all around. It's, yeah, well, and it's it's a circle your wagons, you know. But also, um, and we had talked about this before, but uh, when we were doing our study of the months, and and this in the the book that we were reading, this was such a revolutionary thought to me. It just changed everything. Um, that Simeon and Levi, when they that, that the idea that when they took up arms against Shechem after what happened with Dinah and they went in and killed all the men and they lost their, their blessing, that I had always heard it talked about that, oh, they did evil and therefore they were being punished. But when the book suggested this, like I said, I just, whoa, blow my mind. It was that they were actually holding themselves and everyone else in the world to such a high standard of holiness that they could not they could not sit silently in the presence of what had happened but because of that what they lost in losing that blessing was their inheritance their blessing their purpose became transferred to the world to come because in the world to come, that level of holiness and that high of a standard is appropriate. In this world, it was lacking mercy. And so the Levi, you know, the Simeon's, uh, Simeon's tribe was going to find their place in Judah. 
because we have Judah being the one with Joseph saying, you know, we need to let him live. And, and, the, and the rabbinic understanding that Joseph, Joseph was proud. Joseph was in sin. Joseph wasn't supposed to be behaving the way he was. It was out of line. But, you know, Simeon being the one to throw him in, I believe, and, and um, um, you know, the brothers going, hey, you know, you know Reuben protected him, whatever, whatever. Reuben redeemed himself by protecting him. So what we see over and over is when you hold someone to this really high standard, and this fits with Yeshua talking about judge not or you'll be judged by the same standard you judge others. So when you hold everybody to this really high standard, you miss out on certain things in this world. It's not saying that it's bad. And the Levites, you know, they were redeemed in the sense that, that they were put in the position. You're going to hold everybody to such high a standard? You get to be in charge of my tabernacle. Here's how specific you have to be. Don't touch this before you touch this. Don't touch this unless you've done this. When you do the sacrifices, do it this way. Oh, and you know, you're you're gonna you're willing to take up arms even against your brother when they send down the golden calf. Okay, I'm gonna have you use those weapons only on the sacrificial animals. You don't get to deal you don't get to deal with the people this way. You have to deal you get to deal directly with me. So so you know, we see that that those who have that higher I don't want to use the word legalism because we have such a negative connotation, but that, that higher standard for themselves and others, that can fit in a certain context in the society. It's not allowed to be in the other area. You, know, you don't get to decide who you're going to war with because you think they did wrong. You know, you're going to just focus on my temple. Focus on that. Work here. Um, so the people of Israel, they did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So Revelation 15 is where we go now. Any questions on, on numbers? Everybody really excited to read a bunch of counts and stuff over there? <laughs> there is other stuff in there. <laughs> it's just one of those things like when we get to the genealogies where I go, oh, here we go. <laughs> so starting in Revelation 15, the upper realms have been reconciled now. And, and that was the thing we talked about last, last week. You know, this, the, in the reconciling of everything, the upper realms are together. Now it's time to bring the earth in. Um, yeah. Yeah. It gets exciting, right? And when you start, when you read somebody later on, and and as we finish up Revelation, we're gonna go back and and add in some of the the history books. Uh, we're gonna add in some of the history books from the Old Testament. We're gonna start looking at some other things, and we're gonna see names, and we're gonna go, oh, oh, isn't that guy from that? You know, and and. Eventually, you start wanting to like write it down so that you can keep track of everybody. And I need my Bible flowchart, you know. And and so it it does it it does get exciting. So um, so so yeah, it 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 does get very exciting. And and what we're what we're talking about here in Revelation with regards to um, to what is happening, the Hebrew word for it is tikkun. It's the bringing about, um, see, it, it is an Aramaic word meaning both rectification and warfare. So it has to do with, uh, 
you know, we just talked about the Israelites and where they, you know, who was able to go to war and, and their focus of, like the Levites focusing on the spiritual aspect of things. But the idea of tikkun is our, our ability or our privilege of participating in the unification of God's name and in the unification of the realms of, of, of the world, of creation, through righteousness. Okay. It is not, it, it, sh it should not be looked at as I have the power by doing what God says to bring about these things. It should be looked at with a much more humble position of God has instructed me to do these things because as we all corporately participate in righteousness, we are participating in bringing about these things. This is, you know, God, it's kind of like the idea of prayer. And people go, well, you know, if, if God's not going to give you what you want, why, do you, why are you called to pray? Well, God changes you through prayer. God unites his people through prayer. When we all, come, you know, Paul talks about, and I, and I forget where, but he says it so beautifully, that when we all come together to lift someone up in prayer, then whatever happens in response to that, we are privileged to participate in also. So if we're lifting someone in prayer, we are going through it with them. You know, so if we're praying for someone to be healed or if we're praying for someone going through something and, and they get healed, we rejoice with them in the miracle. Um, if, you know, and we participated in that when, if, if we're praying for them and, and they don't, and they die, then we mourn with the family and we lift them in that it's, it's part of what bonds us together is our corporate going before the Lord. And so if I'm praying at home and you're praying at home, we are praying, we are corporately lifting them up still. So it's this idea that, that, you know, I'm not bringing about the rectification of, of the world. I'm not bringing about the unification of God's name because I'm being all righteous. It's more God has called his people to participate in this way and each of us has the privilege of joining in that. And as we join in that and as more people join in that and as corporately we grow in joining in that, we have the privilege of being the soldiers in the back. You know, we have the privilege of doing our part in that. Um, so, so it really has to be looked at because really you can't, you can't have, you, you can't arrogantly do something. I mean, you can arrogantly do something for God, but you're not doing it for God. <laughs> you know, it's that you, you can't, you, if you're going into it, I'm going to be all right just for God and accomplish this, then you to so miss the point that you're not going to be effective. Um, in other words, you're doing it for yourself in God's name. Yes. Yes. But you're not actually his ambassador. That's David. Say hi, David. No. <laughs> hi, everybody. <laughs> you're, you're, you know, when I you're, finally made it. Yes, yes. Good connection here. When, when you have, when you're an ambassador, you have to make sure you are, you know, if somebody's an ambassador of a country, and we've talked about this before, if somebody's an ambassador of a king, they don't have the authority to go and deliver a message the king didn't send them to deliver. You know, they can go and say, I'm doing this in the king's name. And they can actually make things happen because they go in the king's name. But the king finds out they did it without that authority. And they're, 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 
you know, they're in trouble because that's, you don't get to go do what? Yeah, <laughs> you're beheaded. Um, yeah, you could be. You know, you you lose, you may lose the privilege of, of being sent out if you're going out inappropriately. Um, so, so keeping that idea of tikkun in mind, and, and tikkun being rectification and warfare. Um, so we've got the will of God originating in the perfection of, uh, and established in heaven, and now being done on the earth. So, so keep in mind also everything we just read about the tabernacle in the middle and, and the warriors around it. You know? So you've got the, the unification of the, the heavenly realms with the earth, and that is what empowers the warfare. That is what empowers the people with what they're doing. Um, so then I saw another, oh, and just a couple ideas. This concept, um, keep this in mind when you read certain verses, like Matthew 6, 9 through 10. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning what you, what you start in the heavenlies, bring it about, manifested in the physical. You know, we invite your plan into the world. We want to partner with you in what you're doing. Uh, that, that, I mean, it's a really empowering prayer. It's not just, oh, God, do what you want. You know, we, you know, we like, yeah, we like your ideas. They're happy. Make them happen. It's really praying. He's, he's having them pray for this unification of creation, for the, the, the restoration of God's name altogether, and, and, and we're going to do our part in that. Um, and, and, you know, the quote from the Zohar uh, uh, in commentary on uh, Bereshit, on creation, it says, Observe that God has made the earthly kingdom after the pattern of the heavenly kingdom, and whatever is done on earth has been preceded by its prototype in heaven. Which, and we were just talking about this the other day, Michelle, the cross, which we are told, occurred at the beginning of time. So it was done in the heavenlies, and then done in the physical. It was accomplished at the beginning and then at the appropriate point in time, it was united. It, we were brought into that. Um, and so, you know, that's why people are like, well, you know, when people start understanding that salvation is talked about the same before the cross and after the cross, it's because salvation does not really rely on that physical cross that is a part of it salvation is based on that cross the the sacrifice the eternal what happened and we are privileged to have partaken of the physical part of that at a particular point in history but the ramifications of it that's why it goes forward and backward through time is because it occurred outside of time it is not hindered by time it is not limited by time it's not this progressive revelation idea of, well, God chose to do it one way with people back there, and then the cross happened, so then God had a better way to do it. You know, God is not limited by when the cross happened. <laughs> the cross happened because it was a part of the whole plan to begin with. And so, you know, when, when, we, keep, when we keep that in mind, there's progressive revelation in the idea that things are revealed to man progressively we we are you know just like as we're we're only in chapter 15 or, you know we're already all the way in chapter 15 and finally it's time to reconcile the earth that you know 
progressively our understanding grows, but God's doing is not limited on our understanding, you know. God's been reconciling all of this for 14 chapters. It's just now it's time to get the earth in on it. So, um, you know, it's, it talks in, the, in the, the study I was doing, the life of the tzaddik or the righteous one um, assists in this process, including prayer, uh, with the, the tzaddik's work done primarily in the connecting of the world of the soul to, to the physical. In other words, when we pray, you know, we are, we are, we're not just praying to a God who's sitting across from us. We are praying across the realms. We are praying to God in his throne room. We are, we are connecting to the Lord. Um, and we're going to read, I think there's, there's reference of rivers, um, being connected to judgment as we get going in, in this first verse. And, um, okay, I think, okay, I think that's good. So verse, uh, verse one in Revelation 15, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Oh, and, and I'm, I apologize. I mentioned before that there was something I wanted to say about last week, but I wanted to double check the verse before I just went on my memory and said it wrong. Last week when we were talking about the angel harvesting, you know, and, and that, and, well, and, and, you know, Yeshua sent out the angels and, and then they harvested. Um, it is in Matthew where Yeshua talks about when I send, and I, I had the quote and I forgot to write it down. When I send the harvesters, I will tell them first, cut out the tares, cut out the weeds, and they will be. Uh, prepared for the fire, and then, you know, then I will harvest, um, you know, the the wheat. So it's very possible that he that's what he's referring to is what we read last week, where the harvester he says, okay, now it's time for the harvest, send them out, and all the people who are cut out. So are they the weeds that have been growing up among the wheat? You know, the the ones who look like they're doing all the right things or who are trying to pretend to be all the right things, but, but they're not, you know, I don't know, but, but we've got that reference. So rather than worry about who they are, if we know that they're the tares, just make sure you're the wheat. I mean, that's, that's the, <laughs> you know, make sure you're not the tares and then you don't have to worry about that. If you're the wheat, that harvest isn't for you. Um, so, okay. So that's back, back to verse two. Uh, in, in 15, and I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. So the sea of glass mingled with fire, um, you know, we're, we're it says uh, in the notes here, John's description is similar to a passage found in the Talmud, which describes what was seen by one of four rabbis who entered the garden in a mystical experience. Um, in Hagiga 14b, it says, When you come to the stones of purple marble, do not say water, water, for it is said, He who speaks untruth shall not stand before my eyes. Um, so there's this, this picture of the sea of glass, and we were told the sea of glass was before the throne of God earlier. Um, we're talking about that, that spiritual realm and it's, you know, there's, and there's fire going on now because all this stuff that's been happening in there, it's now opening up to the earth. Um, 
But then also, those who have victory avoid the punishment of the angels. That they lack the mark of the beast is directly tied to the judgment placed in the hands of the seven angels. Um, so we've had, we've had reference to the people of God have been marked by God. The people of the beast have been marked by the beast. So you're on one team or the other. And, and at this point, you're, you're, you know, no, yeah, at this point, the angels know, the angels see, um, you know, those marked with God, the destroyers stay away from those, those marked by the beast. Um, they're, they're, they're up for grabs. Uh, so these who have overcome and who conquered the beast in its image, um, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And we've got, you know, other singing. Uh, there are actually numerous references to the song of Moses in Hebraic writings. A lot of times they reference um, Exodus 15 when they cross the sea and the song just prior to Moses' death in Deuteronomy 32. They're both called the song of Moses. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not really worried about what they're singing. I assume they'll know the words, you know, the <laughs> Because they're singing it, so we're good. Um, but the servant of God and the song of the Lamb saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So, um, this verse, verse four, they suggest is a verse grounded in the Psalm of David, which is Psalm 86. And I'll read that Psalm to you and you can, you know, think about what we just read. Uh, a prayer of David, incline your ear, O Lord, answer me for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul for I am pious. O my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you daily. Rejoice the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and a bountiful love toward all those who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. On the day of my trouble, I will call on you, for you will answer me. Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great, and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will thank you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore. For great is your loving kindness toward me, and you have saved my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, the arrogant have risen against me, and the assembly of violent men have sought after my soul and have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and bountiful in loving kindness and truth. O turn to me and have mercy upon me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that they who hate me may see it and be ashamed, because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So here we have, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So we have the prayer from David being, you know, very much in tune with, the, with what we're praying here. Um, and then the manifestation of judgments that we're about to read in the physical realm 
culminates in the coming of Messiah and the unification of the name. So what we're seeing here is we're about to start seeing everything start to play out. So everything prior to now, we may have had earthquakes, we may have had deaths, we may have had things that were cutting in and impacting us, but now it's about we're about to be the stage. So if anybody's going to get scared, be it now, but not if you're one of the righteous because God's battle's not against you. <laughs> you're on the right team, you're surrounding the tabernacle, you're going to be camping where you're supposed to be camping, playing the role you're supposed to be playing. So verse 5, After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. Um, and linen is also associated with judgment. So judgment's coming down. Verse 7, and one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. The sashes? Um... I don't think they really specifically talked about that. I mean, they're linen, and so they have to do with the, the judgment. Yes. That that is yes, that is true. The sashes, um, generally, the color that they wore, that somebody wore, had to do with their rank. Um, so that's that's probably a good a good um, thought. It, so the fact that they're gold. You know, we we're ambassadors of God. <laughs> <laughs> the things we're bringing, you don't get to escape. Um, let me see here. Do, do, do. Um, and, I, and I love that one of the things they talk about here uh, in verse 8, they talk about the judgment from the, coming from the temple is associated with the glory and the power of God. This would allude to the two judgmental um, sephiroth, the glory and power. Uh, further, this would indicate a state of less mitigated judgment in the sinfulness of mankind has caused disruption um, and a separation uh, of what's going on. So the normal flow of judgment, which is typically softened by, by flowing through the son, you know, Messiah, and the daughter, the spirit. So typically, typically, you know, everyone has been benefiting by the fact that Messiah came, you know, that, that all, God desires all should be saved. The, the angels that were holding back at the four corners of the earth, they were holding back the judgments. Um, you know, all of, and the Spirit has been interceding on, on our behalf, on man's behalf. So those softenings are, are no longer there. So it's one of, again, it's, it's really important to look at it as, it's not that these are new judgments and suddenly God's, you know, saying, I, that's it, I'm done. You know, it's that these have always been the judgment due to man. And God has been saying from the very beginning, I'm holding all this back. Come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me so that you don't receive these things. So we're at the point now where at the end, there's a point where it's the time for those things to not be held back anymore. And still the desire being that you'll get right with God when you see them coming, but those who have already gotten right with him, they're covered. It's good. Um, 
so that is the end of our chapter. So next week we should probably expect it to be a little intense, but keeping in mind again, if you are right with the Lord, if you are under the protection of the sun and, you know, if you have accepted that protection from the sun and from the spirit, if you have, if you have asked, you know, if you, if you have accepted that his blood covers over, if you have gotten into that position, you, you're good. This is, this is talking about those who haven't. Um, and, and also, I know that a lot of people end up being scared. Oh, well, you know, my family member who isn't saved, da, 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 da. what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? To which I would say, just trust that God knows, you know, trust that God's giving every opportunity. Keep praying for them. You know, don't fear. It's not like suddenly tomorrow we're at chapter 15. You know, there's, there's. No, but I know it is a scarier thing if you're thinking that chapters 1 through 14 are all happening in the physical realm. You know, when, when you know that they're not, it, okay, they, they still even then have till chapter 15, you know, <laughs> before this happened. So actually really even 16. So questions, thoughts, fears, prayers? Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> Okay, then I will bless and end the recording, and then we can chit-chat. Um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you peace. Amen. Amen. And